Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Let's join together in prayer. Father, we come before you. We are rejoicing. We are rejoicing that Jesus is purer and brighter and better. He is the very best. You have provided us with your Son, and we realize that that means you've also provided us with life because of your Son. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for your gift. Thank you for the Spirit of God who dwells within the believer, teaching us, guiding us, encouraging us, enabling us to do your will. Help us this morning that we would yield ourselves to your word, that we would continue to worship you in the word, that we would be drawn closer because of what you have done and because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Does it feel to you like God disappears when you are in the greatest of despair? Have you ever been in a situation where you wondered, what is happening and where is God while I'm going through this? Where is he? David had a similar experience. The Bible tells us in Psalm 13, David said, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I think he's in despair. And he's wondering, Lord, where are you and what are you doing? David's enemies had a similar charge when they said this in Psalm 3. O Lord, how many, of my, uh, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. See the accusation? You're alone and no one's coming to help you. That sense of loneliness, that sense of being abandoned, that sense of despair is it's a very low and lonely place. David also said this in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no Rest. Is God invisible? Is God nowhere to be found? Where is He when I face my darkest hour? These are important questions. Where was He when my brother died? Where, where was God when, when that happened? We all have these things. They come into our minds, these concepts. Where is God in this? Well, listen to what the Bible says here in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities 
or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. As Paul conveys this beautiful song about Jesus, we're going to be introduced to Him. We're going to be introduced to Jesus in Colossians 1, 15-20. And this morning, we're only going to focus on the first way He is described, which reads this way. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. It literally reads this way in the Greek. Who is image of God, the invisible See, when you have the Greek word order, you have a little bit of a different emphasis. Who is image of God, also known as the invisible. Hmm. What in the world are we talking about when we're talking about an invisible God? Well, let's look a little bit around the scriptures for, for this for a few moments. Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. beginning in verse 11. So we're talking about a descriptor of Jesus. He is the image of a God who isn't seen. He's not seen visibly in our darkest hour. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 11, here's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep these, this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing. Now here's where we're going to really get into what we need to hear. Which He, God, will manifest in His own time. So God is going to manifest Christ. God the Father will manifest Christ in His own time. Verse 15. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Okay, so here we have this statement. Some some instructions for Timothy, the man of God. 
But in light of those things, he, he tells us about God and Jesus and the work of God and the work of Jesus. And then he tells us a, a little bit about God who is going to, at the right time, bring Jesus in his appearing and, and all of the, the nonsense of this world will be dealt with, right? We're going to have all the, the broken stuff fixed. We, we like that. But the one who does this is God. He dwells in unapproachable light. No man has seen him. No man can see him. And so immediately we start to have some questions. Well, what about Moses? What about Moses? What about Jacob? Didn't, didn't Jacob see him? Didn't Jacob wrestle with him? Didn't, didn't he say something about this? What, didn't Moses see him in the, the burning bush? Didn't Moses see God face to face in the tabernacle? Didn't God even make the statement, I have no one like Moses whom I speak with face to face. What, what is all this about? Do you remember these statements? Here in, Jacob, uh, in, in Genesis 32, 30, the Bible says this, So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. John the Apostle said in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 12, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. We see these statements around the Scriptures about uh, an invisible God. And yet there's some kind of interaction between God and man, isn't there? And, and there's some kind of a manifestation of God. We know that when, when, when God wanted to reveal Himself to Israel, uh, He came on Mount Sinai, didn't He? in a bright light. We know when he wanted to reveal himself to Moses, it's a burning bush. And then a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night as he led them through the land with the tabernacle. We've got all this information in Scripture, but yet God continuously reminds us that God is an invisible God. So what we have here, through Scripture, and in particularly as we look at Colossians chapter 1, we have a song about Jesus. And the song about Jesus is telling us that He is the one who makes God seeable. He is the one who makes God known. So here you are, and here I am, and we're going through our darkest hour, and our heart is heavy, and our minds are swirling, and we're crying out, and no one can meet our need. No human can meet our need. And we're wondering, where, where are you? What, what do I do? I, I can't see you. Where is God? And we want to talk about that this morning. We want, this to, we want to answer those questions. We want to answer unanswerable questions this morning. Take a look at the book of Hebrews. We already started there this morning with our opening scripture reading. And I want to remind you that these opening words of the book of Hebrews are written to a group of people in the midst of dilemma. The, the book of Hebrews is written to a group of people who have been driven from their homes at one point because of their testimony for Jesus. And now they're experiencing a second wave of persecution and they're crying out saying, God, what do we do? Tell us something. Give us a message. And God gives them a message. In fact, what he does is he sends them a letter. And he reminds them 
the letter is not the message. He sends them a letter and says, I already sent my message. Look at what it says here in Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. He has in these last days spoken to us. He has spoken to us by His Son. This Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. We're talking about a message from God His name is Jesus. You see, it's wonderful that they received this letter, the book of Hebrews. It is amazingly fitting for us in every generation. We love the book of Hebrews. But I want to tell you something. I love the message that the book of Hebrews is pointing us to. The message is not simply words on a page. Spirit-filled words on a page. The message is a person. He spoke to us by His Son. The message is Jesus. And let's just look a little bit about how the author of Hebrews describes Jesus. Two very important descriptions he gives him. First of all, He says, who being the brightness of His glory. The brightness of His glory. A really great word for that, it's not a word we use very frequently, is the word effulgence. I love that word. It means radiant splendor. Radiant splendor. When you think about radiant splendor, you're thinking about something that is just bursting and beaming and glorious. This is who Jesus is. He is the bursting, shining demonstration of who God is. He is the brightness of God's glory. So here's how we can look at this. And this is, this is important because really what the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is, is kind of giving us is a little bit of a word picture. And he's pointing us to an illustration of the sun. At least we can at least grab that illustration. When you look at the sun, what are you seeing? You're seeing the light that emanates from the sun. The rays that are carrying the light of the sun. And you're feeling the heat that those rays carry, the radiance of the sun. The glory of the sun is revealed in the glory of the sun's rays. And what I'll say to you is, the glory of the Father is revealed to you in the glory of the sun. You want to see God? You want to see Him? Look at Jesus. Do you think Jesus would subscribe to that message? I think he answered a question about this in the book of John, chapter 14. Look at the screen behind me, please. Jesus said to him, 
Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You want to see God? You want to see the Father? Look at Jesus. He is the radiant splendor of the Father. You want an answer about where God is in the midst of your suffering? Do you? Look to Jesus. Think about this for a moment. In Hebrews chapter 12, we are foreseeing we also are compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and do what? Looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, what did He do? He endured the cross. He despised the shame and he has sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. This is, this is the Jesus who is the radiant splendor of the Father. When we ask the question, where are you? Just remember where he is. He's seen very clearly. Here also in Hebrews 1, as he's describing this message from the Father... God speaking through His Son, He also says He is the express image of His person. The express image. That's just an exact replica. An exact likeness. It has this idea of a stamp that you stamp it in some some ink and you slam it down on a paper. Or even better, a mold where you've, you've made this mold and you pour the wax in and you turn that wax over and you see the, the mold and you see what has been made by that mold and it's the exact same thing. What we have is an exact replica. Jesus is a demonstration of the Father. That's what he's telling us here in Hebrews chapter 1. The tool and the imprint have the exact same image. So in the, the radiance or effulgence in, in Hebrews chapter 1, we have this concept of, of oneness because you don't see the the, ray, the sun without the rays, right? And you, don't, and you don't have the rays without the sun, right? They both work together. They work in tandem. There's a unity to this. Because the rays of the sun, in fact, are the, is the sun. So, now as you get to the second illustration, the exact replica, now we're talking about the distinction. We've got the, the, the original and then the the separate one. So, so we both have the oneness of the God the Father and God the Son relationship and the distinction of God the Father and God the Son relationship. What we're recognizing is that Jesus is the one who demonstrates and pictures the, the Father. Take a look at John chapter 1, please. John chapter 1. As we follow this a little further, this concept of Jesus, who He is in relation to our own dilemma that we have from time to time where we're wondering, where, where is my answer? I've been at this a long time. I've been, I've been hurting for a long time. I need some answers. I want to assure you, God has already answered you. He has already answered all your questions. The issue is, we need to listen. We need to listen to his answer. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, God's word says this In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God. So we have distinction, right? Something is with God. And now we're going to have unity. And the Word was God. So now we have unity, right? Distinction and unity. All all right there in verse 1. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Look down at verse 14. Let's find out who this Word is, because there's some Word that's with God, and, and that Word was, was God. Who is this Word? In verse 14, the Bible says, And the Word became what? Flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld... Beheld. Well, we don't say beheld anymore. We, we saw His glory. We beheld His glory. What kind of glory was it? The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so this Word is defined for us. It's the One that came in flesh, right? He dwelt among us and people saw Him. We call Him Jesus. So Jesus is this One who was with the Father, was with God, who Himself was God who everything was made through. So He's the, the one who's with God. He's the creator of all things. He tabernacled among us. We beheld His glory. This is a special kind of glory. Uh, well, just how special is this? What, what exactly does this do? Look at verse 16 and following. And of His fullness we have all received in grace upon grace upon grace Upon grace. What verse 16 is telling you is that in Jesus, the grace comes in one layer, and it comes in one wave, and it comes in another wave, and it just keeps on coming, one wave after the other. That grace from Christ is just a constant flow. Grace for grace. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. Oh, you bring that right back into the mix again. I thought we had that all cleared up. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, will you read that with me? He has declared Him. He has preached Him forth. He has spoken forth who God is. What you can say is, Jesus is the demonstration of the Father. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Who is image of God. The invisible. He is image of God. The invisible. We want that image. We want something to see. We want something that we can tangibly, visibly see and hold on to and grasp. This is who we are. We, we are we're very feely and sensory in the way that we go about things. It's natural. And God says, I have condescended and I have demonstrated who I am that you might see me. Look to Jesus. God has not kept Himself in the background in our suffering. He has entered into the mix. Listen carefully, please. As the God-man, Jesus experienced weariness, 
hunger, thirst. He experienced embrace. He experienced fellowship. He experienced rejection by his family. He experienced rejection from his hometown. He experienced rejection from his own disciples. And most tragically, he experienced rejection from the Father. Where is God? Certainly he must know what's going on. No one else has to deal with something like this. Hmm. Can Jesus identify with your despair? Can Jesus identify with your despair? Do you remember him crying out? I already read this verse from David's perspective. But you'll remember that Jesus said the same thing. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Can Jesus identify with your despair? I think he can. Where was God when my brother took his own life? Where was he? He was right where he always was. He was right in the same place. He never leaves. He has eternally made himself known. He has eternally made his intentions known in Christ. This is where God is. He is demonstrating himself and his willingness to endure all things through Christ. This is a noteworthy statement. I hope you'll tune into this. The worst thing you face in this life is not nearly as devastating as the good that God has prepared for you is amazing. The worst thing you face in this life is not nearly as devastating as the good God has prepared for you is amazing. Paul said it a different way. Very straightforward. He said this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Do you want to find God in your despair? Do you? Look to Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. And I will say, here he is. Here he is. This is Jesus. What does it matter? What does it matter that Jesus is the image of the invisible God? Because you know what, friend? No matter where you are, no matter what you experience, you can look and you can say, I know what my God is like. He has demonstrated himself and he has suffered in the flesh. He knows what I'm going through and he bore my suffering. He bore my shame. This is Jesus. He's the visible representation. He is the visible of the invisible. He makes the invisible 
clearly seen. This is Jesus. He is God in the flesh. And he has come. And he bore the weight of my sin. And he was buried because he died. The real deal, dead. He fully tasted death for me. Parts of three days in a grave. Then, Sunday came. Up from the grave, he arose. My God is alive. My God has demonstrated that he knows what suffering is. My God has demonstrated that no matter what comes into my life, I have someone to look to. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, who for the joy that was set before me, before him, endured the shame. And he's received the reward. He is currently seated on the right hand of God the Father. And he always lives to make intercession for a little old me. Where is God when you hurt? He's there. Have no fear. Jesus is the one. This is Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. We didn't question that you were there in, re- in reality. But there are times of despair. There are times in which we are weak and weary. Sad and frustrated and in despair. But we know that you have demonstrated yourself clearly in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, your Son. Help us this morning. Help us this week. Help us this month that we would embrace the description that you've given to us and how it impacts our lives on a moment-by-moment basis. We want to appreciate our Savior more than ever. He is the best. He has borne our sorrow and our grief. He has paid for our sin that he might give us life. Thank you, Father. You're so good. Help us now as we continue to celebrate and to worship and to consider and remember our Savior as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.